workers and burn their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come to the street. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the streets, the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could uh, find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. The king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So everywhere that I've read and everything I've studied, the, the characters that are mentioned in this parable, uh, he, remember he's speaking to the chief priests and uh, the Pharisees. He's speaking to religious leaders of the day who understood Judaism, understood the law, understood how it worked uh, as far as the, the nation of Israel. And the king in this kingdom would be God. The son in this parable would be Jesus. And the invitation to those who had been invited would be to the Jews, but they refused to come. And so they had invited again, and instead they seized the servants. One of those servants could be construed as John the Baptist, was uh, tortured or was, was beheaded, um, and they did not believe uh, John the Baptist. There was also a lot of servants that we can see in this parable from the Old Testament, like the prophets, as Isaiah and Jeremiah, and the major prophets, and they were uh, talking about the incoming kingdom, and they didn't believe, and they, they persecuted the prophets, and Jesus talks about that later on. And then he had invited everybody after that, which would mean the Gentiles. Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. All of us should do that. Uh, most all of us should do that. So uh, the Gentiles invited the Gentiles in, and then after the wedding banquet was in force, you had the Jews and the Gentiles, everybody kind of together, and he noticed somebody there who's not wearing wedding clothes, and the Jews would understand that the king's job in a wedding banquet, a Jewish feast, was to give the banquet attenders the proper clothing to wear in honor of the wedding. And for some reason, this particular man did not have the proper clothing on, and the king came in and was frustrated and said, you're out. So the, the clothing was something that we talked about in Galatians chapter 3, and the, the Jews, Gentiles, Jesus, God, uh, are all members and parts of this parable. So if we want to talk about it more, I'd be happy to go over it. And in your Bible, I recommend making notes, uh, and if you don't fully understand that, make them in pencil so you can erase them. Okay, so that's the parable of the, the wedding banquet. Real quick, now we're going to get on to this other subject that um, I have... I've studied for several years, and I find it very fascinating, uh, but I'm going to start out with a science fact. We haven't done a science fact in a while, so I'm going to do one, and I have a, two copies here if anybody wants this. Uh, one belongs to Lee. The other one is open for to the taking. I have notes uh, that I printed out. There's 20 pages that I printed out with all of our scripture references today, so you can make notes next to the scripture references. It's been told to me for the last uh, about 12 years that I speak too fast. And then I go too fast, and so I'm, I'm not telling you I'm going to turn a leaf here, but I am going to do, try and do better. That's how I always caveat with my wife. I'm sorry I'll be more patient. I'm not promising it, but I'll try. I will try to do better on making notes and printing them out so you can have scripture references uh, so afterwards you can make notes on them and then go home and read them for yourself. Now, the idea on this circumcision, so does everybody have a sheet, or does a few people have a sheet? I printed off 20 of them thinking families could share or whatever. So uh, make notes next to me if you'd like. 
Circumcision is the subject today. We're going to do a science fact. Circumcision is the removing of the male foreskin, and as a consequence, it is a rather bloody process. I printed this off from a medical website. Therefore, here we provide scientific evidence for why circumcision has to be on the eighth day. Does everybody know that in Scripture? The Bible says clearly, on the eighth day you are to circumcise your males. It says that in Genesis chapter 17. It says it in Genesis chapter 21. It's also in Leviticus. There is a law given to Abraham. There is a law given to Moses. There is a law given to the nation of Israel that on the eighth day you are to circumcise every male born among you. 600 years later, after Abraham was given the promise, Moses would give him the same instructions. And the question is, why not sooner? Why not the fifth day? Why not the twelfth day? Well, in the 1930s, Danish researchers... Henrik Dam, an American researcher, Edward Doisy, found that which was required for blood to clot. They shared the information and they won the 1943 Nobel Prize in Medicine for their research. The human body has two blood clotting elements. The first one is called vitamin K. It is not formed in the body until the fifth to the seventh day. Vitamin K is not. If any of you that have been to the hospital and they uh, when you gave birth to your child, and they say, hey, we need to give your son a vitamin K shot or your daughter a vitamin K shot because it helps with blood clotting. Because vitamin K does not start to form in the human body until day five or seven. The second blood clotting factor is essential. It's called prothrombin. Prothrombin is surprisingly enough developing 30% of normal by the third day of life. And after uh, that, with seeming inconsequence, prothrombin peaks at 110% on the eighth day. Just before leveling off at 100% of normal after days 9 and 10. So vitamin K and prothrombin, they meet up at their closest point on the eighth day. What's amazing to me is that God knew that before the Danish researcher and the American researcher found it. Isn't that wild? I mean, it just shows you he's outside of time. He, can, he, he, he knew that they had discovered this. I'm being sarcastic, of course. God created the human body to uh, clot on the eighth day. And if he chose the fifth day, I believe the Bible would say, on the fifth day, circumcise every male uh, child. If it was the 20th day, I think he would have said on the 20th day. But scientifically, he knew that blood would clot the best on the eighth day. Isn't that just this, every time you study science, all it does is it brings God into a bigger picture of you know, who he is and his abilities and his knowledge and his power and his wisdom and his ways are so far beyond our ways. So that's the science fact. And the reason we're gonna, I wanted to give that science fact is because we're going to talk about that subject of circumcision and uh, the reason we're going to talk about it is because it is extremely important, and I think you're going to find out that it's extremely important as we look at what the Bible teaches about circumcision. Okay? The Hebrew word is mul, and it means to cut short, to curtail, to circumcise, to destroy, to cut down in pieces. The Greek word is peritemno, which means to cut around, to circumcise. Now, there are many, many, many verses about circumcision. Some of this may be totally new to you, some of this may be old hat, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be old hat or new to you. What I do know is every time I study it, I get a deeper understanding 
of the importance of a covenantal relationship with God and how serious he is about it. And so when you study out this subject of circumcision and you look at what the scriptures say, I think it's very important for our faith to understand what God says. So we're going to start out back in Genesis, and it's basically, it's the call to Abram. So Abram, in Genesis chapter 12, this is going to act almost like more of a Bible study than a sermon, and I'm hoping that there's some knowledge that you get from this, that you can walk away from here going, I did not know that about that subject, that's my goal, and I hope that uh, after we get through this, it just, it piques your curiosity to study it and look into it even a little bit more because next week we're going to be talking about the last point that I'm going to make today. So in Genesis chapter 12, we have God, the Lord, uh, saying to Abram, not Abraham, but Abram, in Genesis 12:1, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I think it's important to notice that he does not say, and all Israelites on earth will be blessed through you. And all of Jacob's clans will be blessed through you. He says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It is really important to understand the concept of circumcision. It's really important to understand that concept, but you to understand... Abraham, from a timeline, is here. The nation of Israel, the Jewish nation of Israel, Isaiah, is here. Okay? And then that was about 490 years or 600 years later. It moved forward. And then, and we're going to look at that in a minute, and then you have the uh, next, it's called, we'll call it the New Covenant, because we'll, we're going to skip some other things. We'll call it the New, the new Covenant of Christianity. So you have Abraham at the beginning, and God makes a promise to Abram, who later becomes Abraham, that all nations, all peoples, all humans, will be blessed through Abraham's seed. Okay? I, I, I don't want to keep reiterating it, but it's, understand, it's, it's important to understand this, this concept of circumcision was not just a Mosaic law. It was not just an Israelite law. It was a promise to Abraham here in about five chapters in Genesis 17. So go to Genesis 17. Abraham is called, Abram is called by God to go to a land I will show you. A whole other sermon there about faith. Go to a land I will show you and all nations will be blessed through you. So fast forward about five chapters in Genesis chapter 17. And when Abram was 99 years old, verse 1, the Lord appeared to him and says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is God speaking, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. He had already promised him, back in Genesis 12, he would be the father of many nations, and all nations will be blessed through you. But he says, You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. So God just said... The land you are in now, which you are now an alien, I will give you this land 
I will give you this land as an everlasting uh, possession to you and your descendants after you. So we, when you look at them moving from Egypt to Canaan, and all, I mean, it's really interesting, the storyline, as you see them traveling to and fro. So Abraham has given this covenant. Then God said to Abraham in verse 9, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. He's about to tell him what the covenant is. The covenant, the promise is, I'm going to give you the land that you are in now and you're an alien, that you are, you are going to possess it one day. But this is the covenant. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your house or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant is in your flesh. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So now he's not just including Abraham's offspring. He's including anybody that comes in. Aliens or strangers must be circumcised to be in a covenantal relationship with the creator of the universe. Okay? This is not open for debate because it is as clear as can be. I'm just stating facts here that God said this is the sign of the covenant, circumcision, for you, for your household, and for anybody else that comes into the nation. Whether foreigners, aliens, money, bought with your money, they must be circumcised. If they're not, they're outside of a covenantal relationship with God. He has broken my covenant. He must be cut off from my people. Is this interesting to you? I mean, this is God's stuff here. This is the beginning of a relationship that God had with his creation. And right now, we're just talking about physical circumcision, but we still need to focus on this. I was going to say, ladies, I know you don't have to deal with it, but you actually do later on. Something you've got to deal with later on. But we'll, we'll get to that maybe next week, maybe at the end of this week, probably next week. So that was Genesis 17, the covenant with Abraham. And we're going to fast forward to the Israelites. Now the Israelites in Exodus chapter 1, we know the story of Exodus chapter 1. You have Abraham, you have Isaac, you have Jacob. Jacob has the 12 sons. He is also known as the nation of Israel. And then in Exodus chapter 1, the story of Exodus 1 is you have this, this man named Moses, and Moses is born. Okay, Moses comes from the tribe of Levi. So let me just make it as clear as I can. You have Abraham, and he has a son, Isaac, and then he has a son, Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. One of those sons is Levi, okay? Levi has children, and one of his offspring, generations down the road, is a man named Moses. Now, at the time, uh, they're in Egypt, and they had been prosperous before uh, Moses was born, but the guy who was friends with Joseph, the Pharaoh, forgot about Joseph, and so he started to uh, persecute uh, Jacob's sons, Israel's sons. So Moses is born, and you know the story of Moses. He sees a fight. He breaks it up. He kills a man. He flees to Midian. He meets his future wife, and then he sees the burning bush, and he, so when he sees this burning bush, God says, hey, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to release 
help release my people because they're being persecuted by Pharaoh in Egypt. And we know the story. Moses is like, oh, don't mean. God says, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring out Israel? God says something. Suppose I go and they don't listen to me. Uh, what do I do? God says, go do it. I am who I am. And I want you to go. And then he says again, but what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And he says, go. What is that in your hand? A staff. I'm going to give you a sign. And finally he says, oh, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past or now, since I've spoken. Your servant is slow of speech and tongue. And he says, fine, I'll send your brother Aaron with you. You just need to go to Pharaoh and get my people out of Egypt. I'm choosing you, Moses. The creator of the universe says, I'm choosing you to go get my people out of Egypt. And so he goes. He's on his way. What's our subject today? Circumcision. Okay, I got to get back on the track. So he's on his way to do what God had told him to do. Very clearly God had spoke to him and said, go do this. He's on his way. God gives him this monumentous task. He's got a thousand things on his mind. He's worried about his, his speech impediment. He's worried about his brain. He's not smart. He's got his brother. He's got a staff that supposedly is going to turn into a snake. All these things are on his mind, and he forgets to do something. And there's this little blip in Scripture that doesn't belong there. And it's in Exodus chapter 4, verse 24. He's on his way to Pharaoh, and it says, At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. What? He's going to kill him? Why would he kill him? He just gave him this duty to re release the Israelites from slavery to the Egyptians. But it says, while he was on his way to go to Pharaoh, obeying the God's command, the Lord sought him out to kill him. Now some translations and some theologians on both sides of the fence think that they were, the, the Lord sought to either kill Moses or kill Moses' son. One of the two. Okay, But look what the next scripture says. But Zipporah took a flint knife cut off her foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. She said, so the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. So Moses was given the command. He knew through, through regulations and law that he was supposed to, or he knew through teaching and, and, and tradition of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that he was supposed to circumcise his son on the eighth day, and he didn't do it. And so God sought him out to kill him. The point being is this concept of circumcision in God's eyes is pretty serious business early on in the church or early on in, in the nation of Israel. It's a pretty serious business. He was going to kill the, 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 his servant because he didn't do what he was told to do as far as circumcision. Now, if you go to Leviticus chapter 12, and I have all these verses down on this paper that you can look at, so we can look at them later to make sure I'm not making them up and don't have like a Nate chapter 2 verse 5 or something like that. So in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3, starting in verse 1, it says, the Lord said to Moses, now this was before the Ten Commandments were given in Exodus chapter 20, he says, the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, a woman who becomes a, uh, pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days just as she is unclean during her monthly period. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Again, we have the Lord saying to Moses after they had uh, left the, the after they had left Egypt, you, the, you've got to circumcise him on the eighth day. Again, a beautiful thing about vitamin K and prothrombin. 
So God gives Moses the command on the eighth day to circumcise the boys. Circumcision, without it, you're out of covenant with God. Without it, the Lord sought him out to kill either Moses or the son. But Zipporah saved one of, their, one of her men's boys' lives in her life. Now remember, we're looking at the biblical requirements of circumcision as given to God's people, the Israelites, and any Gentile, foreigner, sojourner, alien that wished to be recognized as a child of God or wished to recognize the one true God of Israel. This is not an optional practice. If you wanted to be in a covenant relationship with God, the males had to be circumcised. Whether they came in when they were 60 and they were Gentile and said, hey, we want to be part of covenant relationship with God, and they go, well, here are the requirements. If you're not circumcised, you're out. Now, the boys had to be. Now, right now, at least one of the females in this church building is saying, well, what about the women? We'll talk about the women. Okay? We will talk about the women. But right now, we're looking at the biblical teachings of Moses, Abraham, God. Now, circumcision was such a big deal, and I'm really doing my best to set up why the New Testament says what it does about the uncircumcised, and so we can understand better why the early church felt the way they did about the Gentiles that were coming into the church. So this is how serious and how the Jewish people felt about those who were uncircumcised. Every one of us have probably heard the story of David and Goliath. At some point in our history, we've heard the story of David and Goliath. And David was a sheep herder, and he had all these brothers, and they're at war against the Philistines, and they're getting, they're getting beat by the Philistines, and they're fearful of the Philistines. And in 1 Samuel 17, I love the, the, the picture that God paints in this passage, but in 1 Samuel 17, it says, you picture you know, the, the Israelites fighting against the Philistines, and it says that for 40 days, the Philistine talking about Goliath. Goliath, imagine this big monster of a man. Goliath, for 40 days, came forward every morning and every evening, and he took his stand. So he stood on a hill 80 times, and he challenged the Israelite nation. He's calling out the Israelites. He's, 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 he's disrespecting the armies of God. And the, the Israelites are fearful. So David sees this, he hears about this, and the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man, verse 25, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. Woo! That alone would be worth getting into a fight with Goliath. David asks the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, this can mean a lot of things, but what I'm thinking, part of it is what it means, is David is saying, this man will not and has not acknowledged that God is the one true God. The God of Israel is the one true God. He is defying the armies of the living God. He is an uncircumcised Philistine. So obviously he doesn't think very much of this Philistine. He is an uncircumcised man. He's worshiping the false gods. He's worshiping Gentile gods. 
And now we understand how the nation of Israel felt about the uncircumcised, because if you look in the concordance and you study the uncircumcised, there are so many passages what it says about the uncircumcised. Now, the next thing is how does God feel about the uncircumcised? Remember, we're talking about the physical circumcision for people to be in covenantal relationship with God. How does God feel about the uncircumcised? And if we look in Exodus chapter 12, when we go back, we have what's called the regulations or the restrictions for the Passover. They had just left Egypt. They had crossed the Red Sea. And God is making um, to Moses, the Lord is saying to Moses, these are the regulations if somebody is going to take the Passover. Now, the Passover was to remind them that the angel of the Lord had passed over the threshold or the, the doorpost and allowed them to live, and the angel of death didn't come and kill the firstborn of their houses. You remember the plague of the firstborn? The plague comes over, and they're like, this is how you are to eat the Passover meal. You're to take the lamb, you're to cut it, you're to you know, cook it, and, 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 and then take some of the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost so when the angel of the Lord comes through the nation of Egypt, he sees the blood on the doorpost and he says, oh, I'm going to spare the firstborn there. And so they're, they're doing the Passover meal constantly throughout the nation of Israel. And even on Jesus's, uh, when, he, when he takes the meal, I won't get on, uh, sorry, I won't get on that. So they take, the, they, they take the Passover, the blood every year, but this is the restrictions for when they're supposed to take the Passover to remind them of what God had done. And look at the Passover restrictions in uh, Exodus 12, verse 43. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. Any slave you have bought may eat of it after you have circumcised him. What was the requirement for people to take the Passover meal? Be circumcised. Be physically circumcised. But a temporary resident and a hired worker may not eat of it it must be eaten inside one house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land, recognizing that anyone born in the land had been circumcised. No uncircumcised male may eat of it. The same law applies to the native-born and to the aliens living among you. So we know how God feels about them not being in a relationship, a covenantal relationship with him. And the sign of the covenantal relationship was a physical, fleshly circumcision. Is that making sense? Is there any room for, well, they didn't have an opportunity to be circumcised. They didn't have a flint knife around. They just had sandstone, and we couldn't make it sharp enough. They didn't have steel there's no, there's no like caveat and there's no exemption for anybody that wanted to be in a covenantal relationship with God. They had to be circumcised. It was not optional. It was required. It was essential. Or they were cut off from the people. That's what the scriptures teach about circumcision. Now, let's look at the New Testament. We often look at the Pharisees and we look at the, the Jewish people of the day. And the Jewish people of the day in, in the book of Acts, at the beginning, they did not think highly of the Gentiles. They were uncircumcised Philistines as far as they were concerned. Right? So when Jesus 
dies on the cross, ascends into heaven, day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is given to them. It's all Jews at that point. The Gentiles had not been yet brought into the Christian church yet. This is the beginning of Christianity. And the Jews, who had all been physically circumcised because they were Jewish and from the nation of Israel, they are now witnessing Gentiles starting to be accepted by Jesus. All nations will be blessed through you. Jew, Gentile, all nations. So now the Gentiles are starting to come into the church, and the Jews who have 4,000 years or 4,000 years of history of circumcision, when they say Abraham is our father, they have 4,000 years of history of being circumcised in order to be in a covenant relationship with God. The Jews are going, wait a second. If the Gentiles are going to be accepted into this new religion of Christianity, they must also be circumcised. You can't blame them. I can't blame them. They witnessed it. They experienced it. And now they're requiring that. In the first council that we have in the church where there was a big disagreement, a, a major disagreement, not the, the Acts chapter 7 or 6 where we have the disciples and they're debating over, you know, the, the certain Jews were getting food and other Jews weren't. And so this was when the Jews were seeing the Gentiles come into the church and some religious leaders of the day, in Acts 15 verse 1, it says, Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and by the apostles and the elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers, these are Christian men, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. It makes perfect sense. The Jewish people, especially the party of the Pharisees who understand the law better than anybody, saw that circumcision was a requirement dating back to Abraham in Genesis 17. And they're like, if these guys are going to be brought into the church, they need to observe the law of circumcision just like we have, and it's a requirement to be in a covenant relationship with God, a physical circumcision. Make sense? Well, Paul himself, the Apostle Paul who wrote half the New Testament in Philippians chapter 3 when he's saying, I have, I have a lot to boast about. I come from the tribe of Benjamin, legalistic real, uh, zeal, uh, I have legalistic righteousness, I have faultless legalistic righteousness, I have zeal, I persecuted the church, I was circumcised on the eighth day. He also goes back and says, I was physically circumcised on the eighth day according to the custom that's in the Jewish law. So do you understand a little bit? You, people give the Pharisees a hard time. And they're like, oh, those people are legalistic Pharisees. Well, the reason they were legalistic Pharisees is because God set up the laws that they were to follow, and they expected everybody else to follow it if they were going to be in a covenant relationship with God. It makes perfect sense. But the Jews missed something. They missed something. They missed something even in 
the law that was clearly written, which for some reason escaped their mind. And that was what? Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. If you go back to Jeremiah chapter 9, we're going to see this beautiful picture. And we, we tend to do this within our Christianity. This, this picture, we've got to understand, there is a reason why, listen closely, there is a reason why we have all of these physical stories and requirements in the Old Testament. There's a reason why God gave us those things. I'm going to tell you right now, I do not believe that men, boys, need to be physically circumcised in order to be in a covenant relationship with God. I will fight that teaching. If somebody came in and taught that, I would say, you are a false teacher that contradicts everything found in the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's something that does matter, though. And in Jeremiah chapter 9, the prophet Jeremiah, in verse 25, says, the days are coming, declares the Lord. This is a pro The prophet Jeremiah says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and all who live in the desert in distant places. For all these nations are really uncircumcised, and even the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. This is one of many, many, many verses that talk about a circumcision of the heart We'll go back to Deuteronomy. We'll look at one or two more verses in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 10. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, and this, this is going to throw some people, especially the Jewish people, for a loop, and we're going to see the loop it threw them in in a minute in Acts chapter 6. But in Deuteronomy chapter 10, God says in verse 12, I'll let you get there, write it down. I have it written down on the notes. So Deuteronomy 10, 12 says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but you to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good? To the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. So the Lord is speaking, and Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy, we, we believe, and I think it's pretty clear. And he says, circumcise your hearts. So we have this physical example from Genesis chapter 17, Exodus chapter 4, uh, Leviticus 12, you've got all of the Deuteronomy, you've got the law that's given, you've got those that are uncircumcised, looked as filthy rags, filthy dogs, Philistines. You look at all these people in the Old Testament, it's very physical and it was a requirement, but they missed something and that the New Testament and the Old Testament refer to a circumcision that's done in the heart. It's so key to understand that. Now, if you go to Acts chapter 6, we see this, the, the first martyr that we have 
And Stephen is preaching to the Sanhedrin. Go to Acts chapter 6, and then we've got, I think that's the last verse I have. In Acts chapter 6, uh, Stephen is preaching to the Pharisees. And we'll start in verse uh, 12. This is after they seized Stephen because he was, he was persuading men to say, uh, or he, wasn't, um, he, was, he was stirring up the people and, and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they said they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin, starting in verse 12. The Sanhedrin was the religious rulers of the day. It's like our Supreme Court, they had the Sanhedrin, the Jewish rulers. So they produced false witnesses who testified this fellow never stops speaking against the holy, this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Some of the customs, obviously, was circumcision. That was the custom that was given uh, by Moses to the Israelites. So in, in, uh, and then it says in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, Then the high priest asked him, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers... And fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. It is the beginning of the story in Genesis chapter 12. Um, when you look at the end of chapter 11 and then getting into chapter 12, you see Abram's journey. And he's, re he's going back to Abram's journey. And he, he does this wonderful uh, monologue to the chief priests, to the Sanhedrin, to the priests, to the elders, to the Pharisees. He's talking to them. And at the end of this long monologue, it's really, if you read it, it takes a few minutes that he is going through the history of Israel and the history of Jesus. And then he tells them in verse 51, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Now, does anybody know what happens to Stephen after this sermon? They leave their feet at the clothes of a man named Saul, and they stone him. That's right, brother. They stone him. He just said to the leaders of the Jews, the leaders of the Israelites, right there, you are stiff-necked, you have uncircumcised hearts, and you have uncircumcised ears. Do you think that something snapped in their head when they went, Jeremiah 9, the whole nation of Israel is uncircumcised in heart, and he's going to punish those who are only circumcised in the flesh. That's, why they, that's one of the reasons why they stoned him. But they did, if you look at the scriptures here, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. He goes through this entire monologue about God and Jesus and David and Abraham, and they don't get upset until he says, you always resist the Holy Spirit, you stiff-necked people, you uncircumcised hearts and ears. You go back in the Old Testament and you study out the uncircumcision of the heart. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 says the same thing, that the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you will love Him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. So we have this physical example and this physical undeniable requirement in the Old Testament if you were going to be a 
child of God in a covenant with God, and it was physical circumcision. Genesis 17, I mean, go through it again. You've got all the notes. Read through them and make sure I'm not missing something. And then somewhere along the line, the scriptures start talking about a different type of circumcision, and it's a circumcision of the heart. And the beautiful thing is, because God loves us so much, he does not leave it out for our interpretation, and he's not ambiguous about it. He is very clear about circumcision of the heart. And next week, we're going to talk about it. Next week, we're going to talk about circumcision of the heart and what does the scriptures say about it. Is there anywhere in scripture, anywhere in scripture, that talks about circumcision of the heart and how our hearts are circumcised and by whom our hearts are circumcised? Because when I go back and look at Jeremiah 9, I, I don't want to experience that. I don't want to experience where it says that the Lord will punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh. I don't want to experience that. I need my heart circumcised. I want my heart circumcised. I know this was a heavy and I didn't have any funny stories today, but this was on my heart all week because it was awesome. I felt... Last week, it was just an opening of people starting to go, I want to know more. I want to learn more. I want to open up the scriptures. I want to truly understand what God is saying. We got to avoid what the preacher says, and we got to care, not avoid it. We got to do what the, the um, Bereans did. And we got to search the scriptures diligently to, say, to see if what I'm saying is true. And that's one of the reasons why I put all those verses on there, those notes on there. There's too many people that listen to the preacher. Uh, did someone say something? No? Okay, I thought somebody said amen. No. We got, we got to make sure there's too many people that listen to the preacher and they're like, that's gospel. My preacher said this. My preacher said that. And I would say, well, what scripture reference did your preacher go to? What, what book of the Bible? Well, that's, that, that's great, or that's out of context. That's, that's wonderful that he's quoting Scripture, but uh, Satan did that in Matthew chapter 4. Okay? we got to be clear that when Paul's writing, he's warning and warning and warning and warning and warning about false teaching and false doctrine. And the only way for you to know, and I'm going to say this for the rest of my preaching career, whether it's the next, this is my last sermon, or I've got 50,000 more, I don't know. But I'm going to keep saying, check and see what I say in Scripture fits with Scripture. That's the most important thing for your family and your soul that you can do, is you cannot leave it up to me to say that's what my preacher said, because that's not fair, and that's not healthy for you. Because for all you know, I could be, for all you know, I could be like those in First, first Corinthians, Second Corinthians, where is that? For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as, uh, as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. The servants of Satan will masquerade as servants of righteousness. How do you know I'm not one of them? There's only one way. It's the word. It's the word. That's the only way that you know is the word. The rest of them, the, the false teachers out there, they are, they are slick. And it, the Bible says they're going to be. 
And so I want to caution you, brothers and sisters, to look in the Scriptures and make sure what I'm saying is biblically accurate. If you disagree, why? Why? Come talk to me. Why do I disagree? So next week maybe is heavy. I don't know. I don't know. I think it will. But I can tell you this much. It'll be biblical. We're going to have a lot of scripture. Hope you've got, you know, if you have questions on your notes and come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to visit with you about it. So who has communion uh, this morning? Ginaldo? Amen, brother.